0: all right, well, good morning and uh, welcome again to FBC Online. We're, just, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I just want to say welcome. And I also want to start the morning by saying thank you to you, uh, the people of FBC, because uh, recently our staff received the uh, end-of-year gift that you all gave us. I know a number of you contributed to a special uh, staff gift just to bless uh, us and say thank you at the end of the year. So we received that gift, and we just wanted to say uh, thank you for it. You all are so generous and so loving, and it really is an honor and a privilege to get to serve uh, here at FBC, to, to do life with you, to be a part of this church family. So uh, I truly am grateful, and I know I speak for the rest of the staff when we just say thank you, and we love you. you. Um, with that, would you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to jump into the message? Father, we love you and we, uh, we thank you for this time, uh, time to, to sing, to pray, to open your word and hear from you. We just pray that you would uh, teach us this morning as we study your word together. Uh, would you, by your spirit, uh, open our eyes and ears, uh, help us see and understand and learn and grow together together. Uh, help us learn more about who you are and what you have for us here. Uh, we love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, we're continuing this sermon series that we started last week called, "Go Where You Are," where we're exploring this idea of what would it look like to live out the fact that we are called to go here? Right where we already are, we're called to go and engage the needs of our world right around us. Uh, we're taking a whole church mission trip, right? We talked about this last week. Everybody, we're going on a mission trip, but not to a faraway land. We're going to Benicia, to Vallejo, and the Bay Area here in the first part of 2021. And last week we talked about how God has placed us here in this place and in this point in history for a reason. For a purpose, to to help people find Jesus, to be a blessing to our city, to love our neighbors. But as we explore this for a few more weeks, we have to ask a fundamental question about this mission and this call to go. And the question is this Who is responsible to live out this mission? Who's responsible to do this ministry and to do this outreach? See, I came across this thought experiment in a book a little while ago where they said, hey, imagine that you are driving on the freeway and someone speeds past you at 95 miles an hour, music blaring, driving a Prius or an Escalade or, or some car like that. I don't, I don't know. Whatever they're driving. Uh, what would you do? Most of us probably wouldn't do anything. Right? We'd be like, oh, that's weird. Or look at that Yahoo. Uh, going down the street. We maybe would make a phone call to the police. Uh, I I don't know. But likely we wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't go, citizens arrest, and drive and chase them, and try and, you know, uh, run them off the road, and arrest them, or give them a ticket, right? You wouldn't do anything. But, if you were a police officer, you would, right? You'd have a responsibility. to say it's my responsibility to to go and address this problem. It's not someone else's problem. This is for me. I got to go chase them down. I got to give them a ticket. I got to arrest them or do whatever it might be. Or think about again a similar idea. Let's say you're in a restaurant and you overhear someone nearby. This was back when we could go to restaurants, right, and sit indoors. Okay, you're eating a great pizza or some Chick Fil A or. Uh, some Panda Express, you know, top-notch stuff, and you hear someone complaining about the food. Oh, it's cold, or the flavor's off, or the service is bad. Someone's just having a, a terrible time there. Again, what would you do? Tell you what I would do. I would, I'd probably do nothing. You guys would say, that's not my problem, right? So that's someone else's problem to deal with. But if you were the chef at this restaurant, or you were an employee of this restaurant, then you would say, "Well, I do need to do something about this, right? It's it's my responsibility to to do something about this, to address this problem, to make things right, whatever it might be." And so, with the wild driver or the bad meal at the restaurant, there's a job to be done, there's a problem to address, but whose problem? Is it, or or whose responsibility is it to handle it? That's the question. And so, uh, with our mission as a church, see, maybe you agree that, hey, there's a job to do here in the Bay Area. Like, God has placed his church here, he's placed us here for a reason. We might all agree there's a, a job to do, but you might not see yourself as responsible for addressing the problem, for carrying out the mission. You'd say, yeah, it sounds great, but that's really someone, someone else's job, or primarily someone else's problem to address. And I think about, you know, how uh, church and ministry has been thought of in my lifetime. Uh, it's primarily been, hey, the, the staff, the pastors, Uh, They do the ministry. They're the ones who are responsible for missions and and outreach and and things like that, or maybe a few key leaders thrown in there, but not everybody. But is that true? You see, because of our uh, our Western individualistic mentality, we'll often separate following Jesus from the mission of the church. I love Jesus, I'm not so sure about the church or how involved I want to be. Maybe you've heard people say this or you yourself have experienced this. I love Jesus, I'm not so sure about the whole church thing or how responsible I am to carry out the mission of the church. But I want us to see this morning that 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 isn't how the New Testament explains life as a church, that isn't how like, the early Christians would have thought about following Jesus. They would have said, you know, to follow Jesus means that you then become a part of this family. You're a part of this, this people, that the people of God all together share this responsibility to fulfill the mission. It's not just a few select people. It's we all together in our corporate life are called to this. And so the, the Bible makes this clear in a number of ways. And so I just want to go kind of quickly through a couple different passages. Again, normally we're preaching through a book of the Bible, so we'll take one section and just unpack it and walk through it for the whole morning. So I know it's a little different right now. We're kind of moving all over the place, but, but I hope it's helpful. Okay, so the Bible makes this case that we're all called to this mission in a number of ways. One place, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, actually. Uh, before we kicked off this series, Peter is writing to first century Christians, and he says what? He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And you know, we don't use the term priest nowadays in, in our church circles, right? But priests in the Old Testament had a special uh, responsibility. They were to teach the people. They taught the law of God. They helped people understand who God was and how he wanted them to live. They also brought uh, sacrifices to God for the people. So essentially they interceded for the people. They, they stood between the people and God and helped make that connection. They were responsible to lead worship at the temple. They taught people what right and proper worship looked like. They, they blessed the people. They pronounced blessing over the people and asked God to bless the people and the land. And so again, priests had this responsibility to, to stand in between people and God and they helped make that connection. And so notice then what Peter is doing here, writing in the New Testament, he's looking back at this Old Testament role of a priest and the priesthood and he's applying it to who? He's applying it to, to Christians, to, to the community, to the church, to every believer. He's saying, you all are a royal priesthood. As a community, together you have this task. Another example, uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he says this, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give light to everyone in the house. Many of us uh, know this verse, and maybe when we read that, our initial thought is again thinking on like uh, individual terms. You know, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. All right, this little light of mine. But again, look at verse 14. Uh, Jesus is talking about what? A city. He's talking about a town. On a hill, a city on a hill, meaning what? That's a big operation. That's a lot of people. That's a group of people all together shining. All together demonstrating what it means to know God, giving light to the surrounding Region. More, more on that in a few weeks. We're going to talk about that picture a little bit more as, as we go. But we can keep going. We can talk about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this famous image of the body of Christ. Here's how the church is supposed to function, right? Like a body, where yes, we're different. We have different gifts, uh, different uh, skills, contributions that we make, but we all work together to accomplish one purpose. We're all a part of the body. Some of us are, again, the, the arms, the hands, Uh, and and so on. You you get the image. Or we could turn to Ephesians chapter 4, where it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So here the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 saying, hey, in order for the body of Christ to be built up, to be healthy, to be effective, to be doing what it's supposed to be doing, Jesus himself gave to the church leaders of various kinds, pastors and so on, in order that they would do all the ministry themselves. No. Just kidding. That's not what it says. In order, verse 12, to what? Why did Jesus give leaders to the church? To equip his people for ministry. To equip the people for service. That the people of the church might be mobilized and prepared and trained and equipped to do what God has called them to do. So, okay, in in this string of verses, I think you get the point, right? There's no room in the church for, for spectator Christianity, or some of us are on the sidelines, are watching. No, we're what? We're, we're all in the game. And so the Bible uses these various images to explain that we're, we're a priesthood. We're a city on a hill. We're a body all working together. And so I ask you again, who's responsible to go? Who's responsible to carry out this, this mission here in Benicia and Vallejo in, in the Bay Area? Well, all of us, all of us together, you and me. And it will look different based on our personalities and our gifts, but we all share this call to go. We go and engage the needs of the world with the gospel. And now, we're going to unpack this a little bit in the weeks ahead, but there's a number of needs that people have, right? And we can maybe categorize this in two different ways. Again, painting in broad strokes, there are univ- or, excuse me, vertical needs and there are horizontal needs that people have. Uh, vertical needs would be uh, the need to be reconciled to God, the need to be forgiven of their sins, the need to be made alive and find eternal life in Christ. Uh, and so we go out and we address people's needs uh, Connection with God, and we want to share the gospel and make disciples and help people come to faith that 's very central to what we 're called to do and also there 's these horizontal needs that people have where we 're to as the church address poverty and injustice and care for the vulnerable and the unborn and address racism and abuse wherever we might see it and so the church is called to address vertical needs and horizontal needs uh, this morning though we 're going to talk primarily about Uh, vertical needs, and and helping people connect with God. Uh, That's not all we're called to do, but that is central to our life, to be witnesses, to make disciples, to help people find Jesus, as we talked about last week. Author uh, Michael Green explains in his book called Evangelism in the Early Church, he explains that the spread of the gospel... And people coming to faith was, in reality, accomplished by means of informal missionaries. So it wasn't primarily formal missionaries or church staff or programs or even the preaching of the pastor necessarily, but what he says, informal missionaries, informal conversations, he goes on to say, in homes and wine shops, on walks, uh, around market stalls, they did it naturally, enthusiastically, having found treasure. They meant to share it with others to the limit of their ability. So the explosive growth of the early church, the spread of the gospel happened by informal or everyday missionaries, the people of the church doing the ministry. Remember that old Home Depot slogan, you can do it, We can help. They actually stole that, I think, from someone. There was like some lawsuits from some small mom and pop shop. They kind of snatched that from them. Um, But that's beside the point. It's a great slogan, right? You can do it. We can help. And I think it's a great way to understand our relationship in the church, right? You can do it. There's this work that God has called you to do that God has called all of us to do. You can do it. And we, the the pastors and the staff, the leadership of the church, are, are here to help. We can come alongside you and equip you and encourage you and pray for you and walk with you through this. But well, we all have this responsibility to go. Now, what I want to do for the rest of our time together is give us some, some pictures of what that could look like from, from Scripture. Because sometimes what we do is we talk about this and we leave it all in the theoretical. Right? We're like, oh, well, we're the body of Christ, or we're a priesthood of believers, or we're a city on a hill, and there's these word pictures, and it sounds great, but we don't always know, well, what does that look like? Like, how do we live that out in real life? And so I want to look at an example from Scripture in John chapter 1 of how God might be wanting to use you to help other people find Jesus. Okay, John chapter 1, verse 35. I'm going to start reading it for us, okay? John 1, starting in verse 35. It says, the next day, John uh, the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? He said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So, set the scene early on in the ministry of Jesus Two of the disciples of John the Baptist, they see Jesus, and they're like we're going to follow that guy and like literally they're going to go walk behind him and kind of see where he's going and see what he's about. And Jesus sees them, and he turns around and says, "Well," he says, "Hey, what do you guys want?" And, and I always kind of wonder like what tone he used when he said that? Like was he kind of kind of grumpy or tired and was like, "What do you want?" Or was it very deep and philosophical like, "What do you want?" Or was it just, "Hey, what do you want? I don't know. We don't, we don't know for sure. He said, what do you want? And they say, well, where are you staying? And verse 39, he invites them to come and see. And they go and they spend the day with Jesus. And the text doesn't tell us what they're doing. You know, maybe they go and they spend the day, I don't know, playing soccer or going for a hike, eating Oreos, knitting, I don't know, throwing knives at pieces of wood. Who knows? But they're spending time with Jesus. In verse 40, Andrew was one of these two disciples spending the day with Jesus. And then verse 41, 41 uh, the first thing that Andrew does afterwards is he goes, what? And he gets his brother. He says, Simon! Simon! Yeah, we found the Messiah. Jesus, you've you got to come check this out. And he brings his brother to Jesus. And so we see that God uses Andrew to help Simon come and engage and encounter Jesus. And we know Simon, again, going to be named Peter. And maybe you've heard the name Peter or heard stories about Peter before. There's so many stories in the Gospels and in Scripture about Peter. He was bold. He was impulsive. He did some really foolish things. He's always kind of front and center in these stories with the disciples. And Jesus says to him, on this rock, I will build my church. Peter, you are going to be central in the leadership of my church. Peter was on the inner circle. And let's be honest, Peter is probably the most famous uh, disciple in Scripture that we see throughout history. But we're not looking at these verses in John 1 to talk about Peter. Peter. No, I pointed us to John 1 because I want us to see the example of Andrew. Because Andrew, hey, he needs some love, okay? Andrew, let's be honest, wasn't wasn't a super memorable disciple? Can you think right now of a story involving Andrew other than this one? Maybe. You know, it's hard to even recall another. He's mentioned throughout the New Testament a number of times. He's in there, but we don't know a lot about him, he was a fisherman, he was the brother of Peter. Even in verse 40, poor guy, poor guy, verse 40, he gets introduced or described as uh, Peter's brother, right? Verse 40, Andrew, and because you guys don't know who Andrew is, Simon Peter's brother, uh, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. He's like, as if the audience would say, wait, Andrew, who's Andrew? Simon Peter's brother. Oh, that guy. Okay, we, we know who... You're talking about. But notice that God uses Andrew to help Peter come and engage and connect with Jesus. Andrew said, Andrew encountered Jesus and said, Peter, you gotta come check this out. And so I want to point this out, friends, because sometimes we we think that we all have to be like Peter. Like we have to be bold. Uh, we have to be, you know, preaching sermons and walking on water with Jesus and chopping ears off and, and very front and center in the story. That's a lot of pressure. And sometimes we feel like failures when our lives don't look like that. And for many of us, that's not how God is going to use us. Yes, we're called to be on mission with him and be bold and, and share the gospel, but sometimes it's going to look more like an Andrew than... A Peter. It's going to be more like an Andrew story where it's simply, I've encountered Jesus and you got to come check this out. I just come and see. Because that's what God's doing here with Andrew. And I think sometimes that can take the pressure off of us. God just might use us as, as a link, as a connector to help people engage with him. One, one more example though, okay, because maybe you're not sold. You're like, I don't know, Andrew. I mean, he's still a disciple. I see what you're saying, but he's still one of the 12. He's still, you know, an important figure in in the Bible. So I don't know how much we can relate with him. Okay, let's look at one more example. Turn uh, a couple chapters later. John chapter 4, okay? John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Oh. Excuse me. Starting in Verse 7. I'm actually recording this at four o'clock. That was my uh, your four alarm to pray. So a reminder, if you haven't set the (laughs) reminder on your phone to pray, we're recording this at four o'clock. And uh, this would be a a little interruption to say, hey, why don't you set that alarm on your phone so you remember to pray for your four. So I will do that after our recording. Okay, so John chapter four, verse seven, this encounter that Jesus has with the woman from Samaria. Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Okay, so quick flyby here. This woman from Samaria encounters Jesus. And if you've studied this passage before, you know that all kinds of social barriers and expectations are being uh, crossed here. Okay, she's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. She's a woman. He's a man. He's a religious leader, a, a teacher, a rabbi. She's a woman with a questionable past. She's coming to draw water alone in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to be around the rest of the women. She's an outsider. She's looked down upon. And yet Jesus shows up and he offers this woman living water. And then after what we read, Jesus will say, hey, go call your husband. It turns out she doesn't have a husband. She's had several and she's living with a man now who's not her husband. And Jesus already knows that. But he still invites her to come. And before we, again, go on and unpack the rest of this dialogue, there's so, so much here. I just want to stop and, and celebrate with you the love of Jesus. Because in this encounter, we see the gospel on display. And what does the gospel tell us? That God saves sinners. That Jesus came not for the righteous or the healthy, but for the unrighteous, for sinners, for people who are sick and need a doctor. And so that's what we remember when we look to the cross. We see that Jesus died in our place. Jesus took uh, the punishment for sin that, that we deserved so that whoever would believe in him would be forgiven of their sins, would be justified by faith in Christ reconciled to God, adopted into his family, given the gift of eternal life. But we see in this encounter with the woman at the well a picture of ourselves, our own need. Like her, we're outsiders. Like her, we are dealing with shame and sin in our lives. And Jesus shows up and he doesn't say, hey, get it all together before you come to me jump through these hoops, earn my favor, act right, be good enough, and hopefully the scales will tip in your favor when you stand before me. One day, no, he simply shows up and invites her to receive this, this living water that he alone can provide. So friends, in the gospel, we celebrate that the only qualification for salvation, for a relationship with God, is simply admitting your need, acknowledging your need before God and turning to him in repentance. Now, so this woman has this this incredible encounter that we could talk about for a long time uh, with Jesus, but I want you to see her reaction. Verse 28, after all this, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And so she has this encounter with Jesus and she runs back to the village and says, you've got to come check this out, everybody, because here I've, I've met this man who's told me everything I ever did. I've never met anyone like this Jesus. Could this be the Messiah? And don't you see even a, a bit of uncertainty in her statement? Maybe she's not even sure yet. She doesn't have all the... I's dotted and the T's crossed. She's still sorting things out. And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, well, I don't know if God would use me like Andrew, because sure, Andrew was, you know, maybe a smaller part of the story, but he still had this really strong faith. He was a disciple. Andrew went and told Peter, hey, we found the Messiah. Like, he was sure. There was no doubt. It's like, this is the guy, but, but I, you know, I have, I have questions or things that I'm not sure about or a weak faith or whatever it might be. But look at this woman in John 4. She has reservations. She says, could this be the Messiah? This Jesus, he's, he's unlike anyone I've ever met before. Could, could this be the one we've been waiting for, the answer? Maybe some doubts, but she still invites and shares. I don't, I don't have all the answers, but, but you, need, you need to come and see this Jesus for yourself. Or maybe you say, I I don't know if God's going to use me or would call me because Andrew, again, again, important. He was a disciple. He was one of the 12. But look at the woman in John 4. Think about this. We don't even know her name. We don't even know her name. And yet look at what she does. She goes and invites her whole village, come and check this out. And we see what happens in verse, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. They come and they encounter Jesus for themselves. And so, friends, I simply want us to see this morning, God uses Andrew to draw Peter. God uses this this woman in powerful ways that people then can come and encounter Jesus for themselves. And so maybe that's how God wants to use you. Like Andrew, like the woman, you, you might not write a book or, or have this massive social media following or be some public theologian or be a, a professional uh, pastor or staff member at some church. But God will use you to invite people to encounter him. And there will be ripple effects throughout history. God wants to use you as that connection point. And so, friends, we've been considering the question, who will go? Who's responsible to live out this mission, to go engage the needs of the world with the gospel? And the answer is, it's all of us. God wants to use you. We all share this responsibility. And so an action step that we're calling everyone to, again, we've talked about it already this morning, is just this Your four card. The, the challenge for the month of January is to fill out your, your four card as a family or as an individual. Who are the people God has placed in your life? The people uh, like, again, who Andrew said, I got to go grab Peter. I got to tell Peter about Jesus. Or this woman says, I got to go tell my village, my neighbors, I got to go grab them and help them encounter Jesus. Who are the people God's placed in your life? Again, this is a tool to help us be intentional and specific. And not leave things up in the clouds of theory, but get down in, in the, the practical walk of life and say, "Who is God placed? And who can I be praying for? Again, we, we've talked about this card already, but I just want to encourage you to, to fill it out. And as I've been uh, talking with Amber and our family, we're thinking about uh, who's going to be on our card. We're filling it out uh, this week with, with each of you. I thought, what if, again, what if there's some, some Peters on my card? What if there's some villagers like this woman of, of Samaria, someone that, you know, God has big plans for. And God's going to use some of these people in, in, in much bigger ways than he's using me. They're going to have a ministry, an impact, uh, in much bigger, a much bigger scope than, than I have. Wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe I can just be an Andrew to someone else's Peter and just make that, that connection And whether that's through an invitation to church or or simply starting by having good conversations, building friendships, getting to know your neighbors and the people on your card, and then seeing what they believe. And and then you have an opportunity to share uh, simply what, what you believe and what Jesus has done in your life. And so friends, again, who is called to this? We all are in this together. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word, um, and we've kind of jumped around this morning, but we've seen uh, how you've called us to function as a priesthood, a city on a hill, a, a your body, uh, which all again speaks to our, our uh, corporate responsibility, our shared responsibility as the people of God to live out this mission, to see you glorified, to love our neighbors, to invite people to know you. Um, So God, would you send us out, empower us, fill us with your spirit for this work. Help us know who to put on our cards. Help us love them well. Uh, Help us listen well. Uh, Help us be a blessing in our city in this way. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.